Genesis chapter 18. Now, with this theme that we have about a year of growth, I'm going to preach tonight on chapter 18, and I'm going to finish 18, and then I'm going to take about, I'm going to take about six or eight weeks on Wednesday night, and, and I want to talk to you about, when I first came here, I introduced a, a little book to you called Centric Circles of Concern, Concentric Circles of Concern, by my evangelism professor, who was uh, Dr. Oscar Thompson, and his whole method of evangelism. And one of the things that he, he did for all of us students who were with him, he helped us to understand that we all had our own mission field. You know, I, I, hear, I hear Christians sometimes say, uh, I don't know any lost people, or I'm not around any lost people. Well, that's not really true. We're around lost people all the time. I mean, we got neighbors who are lost. We got friends who are lost. We, we got work associates who are lost. We go to Walmart and we encounter lost people. I mean, there, there are people everywhere. And, and, and all of us have probably 200, 250 people that are in our mission field. And a lot of those people, even in our own families, we don't know if they have a relationship with Christ. And so what I want to do is just to remind us as we're trying to talk about evangelism, talking about winning people to Christ and sharing the gospel, I, I want to remind us about what our mission field is. I want to help you do that little survey and, and for you to walk through that and find out all the people. You'll be overwhelmed at all the people that you have a responsibility for. For instance, how many of you have second and third cousins? Y'all, any of y'all got second and third cousins? How many of you could name every one of their children? Their babies. My dad was a, was a family of ten. He had nine brothers and sisters. And they all had a bunch of children, and they all have children, and all those cousins, I can't keep up with how many there are. One time I knew every one of them, knew every one of their names, but to my shame, I've let that expand, and I've, I've lost focus of that. I need to go back and find out who are those kids, who are those babies, who, who we're supposed to be praying for, that they'd be saved. We're responsible for our family. I just want you to be able to be reminded that there are people all around you that God places in your life that you haven't an influence on that you have a chance to impact their life and to share with them and then help you know how to do it you know and so we're going to do that for about six or eight weeks it's real practical it'll be a little fun time it'll be a little work for you to do when you go home to do that and we'll, we'll talk about overcoming barriers to sharing our faith we'll talk about building bridges to people how do you build bridges to people so that you have a chance to share your faith uh, a number of things we'll be talking about and, and mostly mostly it's coming out of Dr. Thompson's uh, book, Concentric Circles of Concern. I, what a privilege for the, me to have him. He, he died the semester I had. He, had. he had cancer, and he died the Christmas after I had him in the fall. And, uh, but, man, what an impact he made on my life in, in just a short time. And I want to share that with you. Some of you know about him, and I've talked to you about him before maybe, but I still want to be reminded of that as we focus on growth. All right? So I, we're going to talk about... And then after that, I'll pick back up with the life of Abraham. We're not through with Abraham yet, okay? He's really just kind of getting started with Abraham. Well, in chapter 18, we saw a number of things. One is we saw the fact that he was able to identify these men walking up to him, understanding that they were messengers of God. They were angels of God. They were coming. And he had a sensitivity to that. When he saw them in his spirit, he realized and knew this is not just three men walking up here. 
And you know that by his very attitude of how he had. He ran like a child out to them. He bows before them. He invites them to come. He's, he, last week we talked about whenever they, they were willing to stay for a meal, he runs around and gets her to make bread, and he goes and gets the calf and has it killed and gets the milk and curds and brings it all there and stands as a servant before these angels of the Lord. And he's doing all that because he knows who they are. And in that experience that he had, we said there were two pronouncements that he received, two words that he received from those angels on that visit. The first one we saw last week, it was a, it was a blessing, a promise. You remember that? He was, he, was ta- he was told by the angels and reminded once again that he's going to have a son. But this time, it's a, it's a point of promise and announcement because for the first time, Sarah gets the word that she's going to be the mama. And the angel says, about this time next year I'm going to come and she's going to have a son. And remember what she did? She, she laughed about it. <laughs> and then God, the angel said through that, through, uh, God said through that angel said, uh, why is she laughing? She wanted to deny that she'd laughed. And I told you that God knows what you're thinking. He knows what your, your, your very intent of your heart is. So no use trying to hide it and certainly no use trying to lie about it. Amen. So whenever you, you found out about that, what a great blessing that was. She received that promise. And you know what happened? Just like he said, she's going to have that baby boy, name him Isaac, the laughter, one of laughter. He's having that child. So the first proclamation that was received was a word of blessing and promise. The second one is a word about a curse and judgment. It's not a good word. It's a harsh word. It's the judgment of God that's coming. It's about Sodom and Gomorrah. So look what happens beginning here in verse 16. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. Underline this phrase. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to? To do. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him. In order, men, you ought to underline this verse 19. It's very important for you men, especially you young men who are raising your children, and you grandfathers who have an influence over your grandchildren. You need verse 19, you need to put in your memory, all right? For I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. We'll spend some time on that verse in just a moment. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. And their sin is exceedingly grave. Unusual verse, verse 21. Listen to this verse. Here's the Lord speaking through the angels. And I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. 
And Abraham came near and said, Wilt thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from thee to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from thee, shall not the judge, capital J, of all the earth deal justly. So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on account on their account. And Abraham answered and said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Wilt thou destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose forty are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of the forty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak, suppose thirty are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, suppose twenty are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the twenty. Then he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. It's about time just to be one time, isn't it? <laughs> I should speak only, only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. And as soon as he had finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. Well, you've all heard that passage of Scripture, but there's some great truths in the midst of that Scripture that I want you to see. The first thing I want you to see is there in verse number 17 when it says that the men rose up and they're walking away and Abraham simply walks with them to go with them. And then they say, the Lord, it says, the Lord says, these angels talking to one another, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Now, isn't that an unusual question? You think about that. Why, why was that question asked? Why did the angel of the Lord Ask that question, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? He goes on and qualifies it by saying this, Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What does that have to do with? Well, first of all, it has to do with God has promised, had already promised Abraham that he was going to be a blessed man, hadn't he? In the very beginning, in chapter 12, he promises him that he's going to give him a land, he's going to give him a posterity, he's going to make him a great nation. All these promises that he makes, the very first thing when you find about Abraham is he makes this promise that he's going to have this land, he's going to take him to a land that he does not know, and it's going to be his land. Well, why is it he asks the question, why, should, should I let Abraham know uh, about what I'm about to do? Well, it shows you that God in his, in his mind, God in his very spiritual economy, when he makes a promise to someone, that promise is settled. Okay? That promise is settled. It can be banked on. Okay? 
When he, when he made the promise to Abraham that he was going to give him a land, this land of promise, even though it's going to be a long time before they possess it, in God's economy, Abraham already possesses it. Why? Because God promised it. Now think about that just a second. When God promises something, it is yours. It's yours. In the mind and plan of God, it is yours. Before Almighty God, it is yours. It's not going to be. It is already yours. Even though you might not hold your hand. In God's mind, it was already Abraham's, even though he's not holding his hand. In Abraham's lifetime, he, he only, the only thing Abraham ever owned was a graveyard. His whole life. I mean, he bought that grave place, Machpelah, where he was going to bury his wife and where he would eventually be buried. That is the only thing in his lifetime that he owned in the promised land. He, didn't, he, didn't, he never possessed it. Matter of fact, he did, that, none of the other of the patriarchs possessed it. They, they sojourn and they live in there. It's not until what? It's not until they go over to Egypt and they stay in Egypt and multiply and become this great nation. They come out of Egypt and God promises Moses, you're going to get them out and you're going to get them in. Isn't that what he said? And that didn't even happen when it's supposed to happen because he hadn't spent 40 years in the wilderness because of their disobedience. And finally, under the leadership of Joshua, they go in and they take the land and that land that God had promised to Abraham back then is now their possession. They have it. They own it. God's given it to them. But not until then did they, did they owe it and own it. But, but listen to what God says. Listen to what the, the Lord says. Should, should, I make known, should I make known to Abraham what I'm about to do? What I'm about to do? And why would God ask that? Because in God's mind, this is Abraham's land. This is already Abraham's land. And before even God Almighty, before God Almighty is going to come, the sovereign one can do anything he wants to, right? Yes, God is God. He can do anything he wants to. But before he comes in and does anything like destroying the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that are part of that promised land that has been given already to Abraham, the Lord is saying, should I let Abraham know what's about to happen to his land? Should I let him know what's about to happen to his land because he is that blessed one and he's going to be a blessed nation? Should I let him know? And God says, yes. I'm going to tell Abraham what is about to happen in this land that is his, that he doesn't have a title deed to except by faith and will not be his possession or his people's possession for a long time. But I'm going to tell him what's about to happen. And so what does he tell him? He says this, this, these are some interesting verses. He says, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. It, it, this is a picture. Of, the picture is that there's so much wickedness and ungodliness and sin that the outcry of that sin and that wickedness has reached the heavenlies. It, it's reached the heavenlies. And, and the report of it is that their sin is exceedingly grave. It's not just grave, it's exceedingly grave. They are a wicked, wicked people. That the sound of their sin reaches into the heavens. So what did God say? I'll tell you this unusual verse, verse 21. What did God say? He says, 
I will go down now. And he's not just talking about going down from where he is. He's talking about going, he, he, he has come down. God has come down off his throne. He sent his angels down here to do what? To do judicial investigation. That's what he's doing. He's investigating. Now, wait a minute. God knows everything, doesn't he? Does he, does he need to, but, but he is so appalled at the sin and the ungodliness of his creation, right? Of his creation that was made in his image, that was made perfect, that was one time destroyed by the flood, got a new start, but they're sinners again. Instead of worshiping him, they worship creation. That he says he's, he's coming down. I, I will go down and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry. Is what I'm hearing, is it really true? Is, is what, what I'm hearing about their ungodliness really true? And he says, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. God, God, it's the grace of God. God could have heard from heaven and, and cast all of the fire and brimstone without doing anything. But God said, I, I, I'm going to go down and I'm going to actually see. I, I want to see if they're as ungodly as they are. I want to see if they're as wicked as they are. I'm going to come and I'm going to see. Wow. You think about that. And what did he say? And if I find that they're not, I'll know. I'll know. It's, it's almost like, and I, I guess it is, uh, our, our God is he's a righteous God. He's a holy God. And he, he wants us to live righteously. But, but he's also full of mercy, isn't he? I mean, God wants to show mercy to us. He doesn't, want to, he doesn't want us to face judgment. He wants us to experience the mercy of God and the, the grace of God. And even with Sodom and Gomorrah, so wicked it's destroyed, he says, I'm going to go down and check it out. I'm going to go down and find out what's going on there. Well, two of the men turned away, and he has this one angel of the Lord that he's talking to, and Abraham comes near to him. Abraham would have been a good lawyer. Abraham came near to him. He said, Wilt thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He, I mean, here he is talking to the righteous God. God, let me ask you a question. Is it, is it right to destroy the righteous along with the wicked? I mean, you're, you're going to go to here and you're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and there are good people over there. There are good people over there, and you're, gonna, you're just going to wipe them all out? You're going to do that? <laughs> then he goes, and he, he, he says this. He says, Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will thou indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous? Far be it from thee to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked. So the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. The righteous and the wicked are not treated alike. God is a righteous judge. When he looks at the next, he says, Far be it from thee, shall the judge, capital J, of all the earth deal justly? Yes, God's going to deal justly, but he is also going to deal with sin. He's going to deal with sin. So when he says this, he says, if there are 50 righteous people down there, you're going to destroy all those 50 righteous people? And 
And what did the Lord say, verse 26? If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare the whole place on account on their account. 50 righteous people could have saved the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. That, 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 that was a large city, okay? And, and they're trying to find 50 righteous people. I would have probably stopped there. I'd have thought, that's a pretty good deal. If we can find 50, find 50 righteous, he's going to spare that whole city. As wicked and ungodly as they were, he's going to spare the whole city. Abraham's not through, though. Abraham answered and said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. You know, circle that. What does he mean by dust and ashes? He, he means this. He was dust before he was born. At the beginning, he was dust. And at the end, when life is over, he's ashes. So I'm dust at the beginning, I'm ashes at the end, and this other stuff's just in between, right? That's all I am. He, he has such a humble heart before Almighty God when he's making these petitions. He says, I, I'm just dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous, here, here's a twist on this, okay? Listen to what he twists, how he twists it. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Or he didn't say, what about 45? He didn't say that. He said, well, if you're going to let them live and, and you've got a city survive with 50, what if they just missed it by five? What if they just missed it by five? And he goes on, listen to what he says. He says, are, are you going to destroy the whole city because of five? Five? Where'd that come from? That's the five that were not righteous out of the 50 that was, you see how he twisted it? And, and the, the Lord said back to him, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Well, he's on a roll now. He spoke to him and said, yes, yeah, yeah, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do an account of the 40. And, and then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I can find 30. Were any of your families blessed with a child who was a negotiator? Every family needs one, but only one. Now, it, it, it is like there is no way to tell them no. You, know, you, you say, they come to you with a proposal, and you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And, and in 15 minutes, they come back with another proposal with a slight little change to it, and want to know, what about that? No. And then they come back again with another little bitty change of a proposal and, and they, they bring it to you and it's no. Finally, you get so tired of saying no. You just finally say, yeah, that's fine. Go on. Just, just leave me alone. You know, just leave me alone. Do y'all ever have one of those? Everybody needs one. I'm telling you. My, my son-in-law got that one of mine. I, I, I gave, him, gave her to him now. And she still works that same tactic, doesn't she, Dave? She sure does. David's just worn out over there. I hear him say, yeah, okay, go ahead. Yeah, that's where Abraham, he, he's just, he's he just not going to quit till he get, get down to, to what he hopes is going to be the right number. So he goes to 40, then he, he goes down to 30, and then he says this, um, behold, in verse 31, I, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, suppose... Twenty are found there. 
And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. And here's the last time. It's the last time. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. I shall speak only this once. Only this once. I haven't spoken before. Suppose 10 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 10. And the negotiation stops. And Abraham, Abraham probably thought, surely, surely, they'll be able to find 10 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, that large city. Surely, the Lord will not have to judge that city if 10 righteous people are found there. Now, we know immediately that there, there's a real passion that Abraham has towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because his nephew's there. His nephew and his family lives there. Do you, have, do you care about your family? I, I mean, if, if, your fam, if you heard that a city was going to be destroyed and that's where your family was living, would you be trying to get them out? Would you be trying to negotiate some way? Would you be hoping there's some way to spare their life? Well, that's why he's passionate about trying to save, trying to save Lot and his family. Lot and his family. That's why he negotiates over. But we know that when they get there, they do not find ten righteous people. Ten righteous people. Now that tells you a lot about this, this story. The reality of it is, is Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because it was a wicked city. Uh, it, you say, well, it was destroyed because it was wicked. Yes. But the real reason it was destroyed is because they didn't have ten righteous people. It, it was the lack of righteous people that brought about the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Isn't that true? I mean, that's exactly what he... You think the Lord was telling the truth when he said, if I find ten, I will not destroy that whole city. I will not destroy that city. So the presence of righteous people is the protection of society. Now, why is that important, the righteous? If there are righteous people who are there, if there are righteous people who are there, they have the opportunity of influencing other people towards righteousness. In other words, when a righteous group is there, they can bring somebody else out of ungodliness and wickedness and, and make them righteous and impact their life and see a change in them. That's, that's, that's what righteous people are supposed to be doing, amen? That, that's what the church is supposed to be doing. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be righteous people who are living out in our world where there's a lot of unrighteousness that goes on and people who don't know the Lord. And we have the chance to live righteously and impact the world in righteousness and point people towards the righteous one who makes us righteous. And God gives us that privilege. The reason judgment hasn't come upon many nations, our nations, our nations as a whole, it's because there's been a remnant of righteous people. A remnant of righteous people. Let me tell you about the church. The church is supposed to be making sure that every generation we still have those righteous people, hopefully more. If we as a church ever forget what we're doing and we don't win people to Jesus and we don't see them become righteous, then that righteous number can, begins to decrease and, 
and ungodliness and wickedness take over and the righteous decreases and decreases to the point that the righteous have no voice and the righteous disappear. And judgment comes because there's no righteous remnant there. There's no righteous. That's what the church is all about. I don't, I don't want judgment to come. I don't want judgment to come in, in my, my day or in the following generation after me because I want to make an impact in the world towards righteousness. Amen? I want lives changed. I want people walking with God. I, I want something. I don't want to be in my generation because we fail to reach people and, and have their lives changed that, that judgment comes. Well, we'll know and as we look at the next chapter that judgment does come. But you also have the grace of God. You know, the one thing, one thing interesting thing about, about his negotiation, Abraham's negotiation. Don't, don't you think in his negotiation he should have said, well, listen, if you don't find ten, could you get my nephew out of there? He didn't say that, did he? I mean, he, you would have thought he, he would have said, just... Get my nephew out of there, my nephew, who was a righteous man. A lot had, had some troubles, and he, he kind of, you know, got conformed by the world and everything, but he's still a righteous man. At least old, the New Testament tells he was a righteous lot. Okay? But, but, but let me tell you, show you the grace of God, for, and we'll, we'll be gone. The grace of God is this. Even though Abraham did not negotiate for his nephew, before God destroyed that city, what did God do? He got his nephew out. And, and as far as we know, as far as we know, we know there weren't ten righteous there. As far as we know, Lot may have been the only righteous man there. Because what did the Lord say? No, I will not destroy. I will not treat the righteous and the unrighteous the same. I will not destroy the righteous with the unrighteous. So God takes Lot, takes him out with his family. That's not a great success <laughs> when he gets his family out, but he takes Lot and his family out before the destruction comes. That's the grace of God. Even though Abraham never asked for it. Let's pray for God to help us to be the righteous remnant. Amen? Let's pray for God to help us to reach other people and be a part of that. But we're the influencers. Instead of being influenced, we're the influencers to bring people towards Christ and righteousness. Amen. Father, thank you for truth. Help us to live in it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a good rest of the week.